Welcome to the Master Slave Lifestyle Podcast. Here we'll interview real people living the real Master Slave lifestyle, all consensual and all in different ways. And in this episode... So I was brought up in like a very conservative religious environment. I didn't want to be in my head all the time, you know, because it was just very dark in my head. You just don't care. <laughs> this is masterslavelifestyle.com. Hello everyone, so it's my pleasure to speak with slave Nate. Nate is a slave that lives in France, and today we're going to cover the story of his life, from his conservative upbringing in the USA, to finally coming out as a slave. Nate, welcome. Thank you. I'm very, very pleased to be on the show. So, how would you describe yourself now? I would describe myself as a slave who, I guess, an unmastered or uncolored slave who does sometimes have tendencies to dom, especially in the hypno realm, but very, very rarely. So I wouldn't consider myself like switch. I, you know, I just have tendencies, I suppose. So. Thank you. But this was not always the case, was it? So you didn't always admit to this part of yourself. So can you tell me a bit about your background just around the time you started to realize you might have kinky tendencies and what <laughs> age you were at this point. Yeah, well, actually, it started very, very young. I don't know how old I was. I was in elementary school and uh, I was on the playground and we used to play this thing like kind of boys against girls, like boys chasing the girls, and we called it jail. And... Um, so we had to chase the girls, catch them, and then put them in jail, which was on the fence. And I just remember very distinctly that I always wanted to be the one chased by the guys and then put in jail. Like that was something that would have made me happy. We tried it one time, I remember, very unsuccessfully because also I'm a very fast runner. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but it was thrilling the time that we did do it. And I just knew that that was something that was, I guess, different because the other guys didn't want to. They always just wanted to chase the girls. So, yeah. It's strange. It kind of reminds me when I was four years old and I always liked to play good and bad gorilla with my friend onto the dining table where I was the good gorilla and I had to be dominated by the bad gorilla. Oh, and I wow. used to love it. <laughs> I have never. Okay, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you were in the playground and you were kind of starting to play this and this kind of made you realize you were. How did that then progress? Well, at the time, so I was brought up in like a very conservative religious environment. But at the time, I guess I was so young, it didn't really, hadn't hidden me you know, all of the homophobia in the religion and stuff like that. So I didn't really know how to explore it. I just let it kind of happen. So there was a time where my mom and I were living with her friends and her friend had two older brothers who were gorgeous. And I would just like kind of find myself like fantasizing about them. But I don't re really remember what, but in fantasizing about them, which was the fun part, I guess the more interesting part is that I had never, up until this point, I hadn't ejaculated before. And um, I would take, uh, what do you call this? Um, toothpaste. I take toothpaste and like rub it on my genit <laughs> genitals because there was like a sting 
to it. You know, I mean, I was, ah, I was, I didn't I have like hair or anything like that. Yeah. So there was a sting to it. And I just let my imagination go. I don't remember what I would think about, but just knowing and just like kind of thinking, I suppose, I don't know specifically what I was thinking about, but I remember thinking about her brothers and like the things they could do to me, but I guess not necessarily sexual, just the things that they could do to me. And one of these things was like, kind of like torture me, I I suppose, you know, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't have a very clear view of, you know, I don't have a clear memory of it. Uh, I just remember these specific instances and uh, my mom would smell the toothpaste and she's like, what is that? Why do you smell like (laughs) mint? (laughs) And I'd walk around with it until it dried up and then I'd wash it off, you know, like it was kind of like a badge of submission, I suppose, you know? And again, I didn't really know what it was. Just, yeah, so. What is the, the approximate age you were at this point? Oh man, that had to be somewhere around 10 or 11. Okay. Because a couple of years later, I ended up moving with my dad in uh, to Seattle, Washington, which is where I really got to explore because my mom was conservative, but my dad is not religious. So, so uh, tell me about that shift then. So, you know, you're 11, 10, and you're having these urges, let's say, in a very conservative upbringing, and then you're going to Seattle and it's very different. Yeah. So tell me a bit about that difference and and how that kind of impacted you. Yeah, the difference was, um, (laughs) the difference was like night and day. My dad didn't care. I mean, he cared about us, but he wasn't like a helicopter dad. And so he just let us do our thing so I could easily just do whatever it was I wanted to do. But I didn't know what it was, but I was always drawn to kind of quote unquote, like abusive situations. Now I wasn't abused, but like situations where I felt like I was being, would be kind of like tortured and stuff like that. Right. So I would get on places like Yahoo Messenger at the time or MSN Messenger. Or was I think it was called MSN Messenger. I can't remember. But anyways, it was like a chat room or whatever. And uh, end up meeting with um, guys, I was super underage. Uh, so this was very dangerous, <laughs> but, but I would meet up with, uh, guys who were just a couple years older than me, but I didn't want to meet up for just like regular sex. I was actually having regular sex at the time when I moved with my dad, which I guess for some people was a kink. I was having sex with my stepbrother and my half brother. But uh, that's not really what was attractive to me. It was really attract. I liked someone having control over me, right? So, and I meet up with these guys, like guys that weren't like um, in the army who just kind of really want to get their aggression out, I suppose. I remember when I was 16, there was a guy who was much older, like 30 or something like that, who took me to his apartment. Uh, he gave me my first like douche or enema, you know? and um, blindfolded me and just like, fuck me raw on the, not raw, sorry. He used a condom, which was interesting because I was not aware of protection at all. Because again, I grew up in a conservative background, so they didn't teach anything about protection or anything like that. So I, I didn't, but he wore a condom, but he just like, you know, just brutally fucked me. And I was just like, it was very painful because I was not, had not trained myself to be to bottom because I'm not a bottom actually contrary to popular belief, (laughs) but uh, I had not trained myself and it was painful and uh, absolutely loved it. And there was a time when I was um, 
I just went, there was some guy, I don't remember how I met him, but he was a city away from us. And I went to his house for the weekend and he kind of like chained me up, right? And had me do his house. His house was a mess, not dirty, but just a mess. It was books. I think he was a lawyer. I don't remember, but he just had books, papers and everything or whatever. And I was kept naked during the entire weekend. And I just cleaned his house, you know, and he'd fuck me like whenever he wanted to. But just being like a house servant was just such a turn on, you know? So yeah, I had many, many adventures. <laughs> so I just want to unpack a couple of things here. So when did you realize you were gay? Okay. I knew that I was interested in boys again when I was in like elementary school, but I didn't have any words to put to it or concepts or anything like that. And since we were so conservative, I didn't even know how to apply that. Like it just didn't dawn on me. But I wasn't sexually active until I was like 14 or whatever the situation is. So th that is probably when, no, 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 no. I think I knew I was developing more and more of an understanding of being attracted to guys. Like when we went to live with my mom's friend uh, and her brothers, you know, I was like, I know all of these guys are interested in girls, but I am interested in these like big beefy guys, you know, so and then when I guess when I really knew that it was gay, the kind of term, I was living with my dad. And then that's when I came out to my mom. <laughs> and then she told me, I told her I was gay. And she was like, no, you're not. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm bi. And she was like, maybe. <laughs> that was her response. So it was between putting the word gay to it was, I think, probably around like 15, 14 or 15. And it sounds like you were actually quite experimental. Oh, yes. As well. So what do you think made you able to be open to have those experiments so young? Um, so <laughs> me and my older brother, so I have an older brother. I mean, I have many siblings, but with my mom and my dad, I only have one older brother. And we've talked about this. I was very oblivious to a lot of stuff. So we didn't have a, the easiest life growing up. And um, I was aware of it, but I didn't taken into account. And I think now we realize it's probably because of my ADHD, because my mind was running at a hundred miles an hour. So I wasn't really paying attention to everything that was going on. So if any of this stuff was prohibited, it didn't dawn on me. Right. So I was just doing stuff. I was just living life, you know, like I was just, <laughs> I wasn't worried much about what other people would say. I didn't know that I had to keep it under wraps because people didn't, well, first of all, I didn't know what it was. And then I didn't know how to explain it to other people, but I was always just a very open and honest person, unless I felt like I had to lie because people wouldn't even seek to understand, you know? So I think that's why it's just because I was so oblivious and I think it's probably mostly due to my ADHD. But then when I became aware of it, there was like an immediate stop, like an immediate aware of kind of like the religious teachings and aware of, you know, the homophobia, I just immediately stopped to almost immediately stop, I should say so. Okay. So before we go to that stop, you've mentioned a few times about having a conservative upbringing. So can you just describe what that actually means and what that's like for people that might not have had it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It was fun. It's a very fun community. They're all vegetarian or for the most part, I should say they preach about living healthy and stuff like that. 
eating the right foods. They go to church on Saturday. I went to church twice a week minimum. Uh, so on Wednesday and on Saturday and sometimes on Friday, they taught furiously against homosexuality and any of the like. At the time, like transgender wasn't even, you know, considered. I read my Bible. I was so into this religion. Like I read my Bible daily and I've read it through maybe twice, probably twice. I used to be in this thing called Bible Bowl where they would ask you questions. It's kind of like Jeopardy, you know, for the Bible and stuff like that. So I was very, very deeply integrated into it. There was a kind of a sect of this religion that, uh, or I guess a group that firmly believed that women should not wear pants. So a lot of them were just wearing dresses or skirts. They don't believe, and still today, they still don't believe that they're arguing over whether women should be ordained. When you consider conservative, like it is, <laughs> it is almost 100% this religion, you know? So they try to live by the Bible, like word for word sort of thing. You can have an entire sermon over one word, literally, that's in the Bible. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So if we come back to your life, so you've been doing this experimentation and now you're suddenly making the link between the conservativeness religion and what you're doing happened at that point. Um, it was very sad. I just stopped. I mean, looking back at it, it's just sad. I stopped. I ended up going to... The religion that I was in had a had many schools around the world, and uh, I went to one of the schools. And then, obviously, it was a boarding school, but I think that's what they call them boarding schools, where you live on campus and stuff. So, but I did know that it was. Um, I knew that they did not accept anything like you know homosexual homosexuality wise. So everybody there that I met who was gay was deeply, deeply closeted, and so and I did the same thing. So I stopped everything, even having sex. I had never had sex with a woman. They frown upon that as well. Like they teach sex after marriage, abstinence until. Yeah. So, and the sad thing was when I stopped, <laughs> I don't know if this is a correlation, but that's also when I went into depression. Right. So I don't know if it's like a causal thing or if it just was, you know, happenstance. Like, I stopped and I also went into depression, you know. Wow. I kind of traded that. I guess I didn't trade it, but I tried to fill my days, I suppose, at the time with like video games, which I love video games anyway, but uh, video games and then like outreach ministries and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. So it was kind of bad, I suppose. You kind of mentioned depression as, let's say, an emotion or a lack of emotion, but were there other emotions that came up for you? I'm such a shame. Um, I don't know if I was ashamed. I could have been. I, th I probably was. But I guess, again, I'm very oblivious to a lot of things. So the only thing that I'm paying attention to is what's like happening right now. And I was so focused on being right. Like I was so focused on obeying, you know, because that is my personality, which I think is one of the things that makes me <laughs> maybe a great slave is I was just so focused on obeying that I just tried to do what I was taught was right, you know? That's really interesting. So let's say your natural slave tendency to obey mm. then also meant that it, you stopped yourself from being a slave or being gay because yeah. of that tendency with yeah. the environment you were in. 
Yeah, it is. It's weird. I mean, this is what I was considering when I thought back on it, because there was a lot of things that were happening still, even though I was like not having sex and trying my damnedest not to look at guys like on, on the campus and stuff like that. It's just averting my eyes and stuff like that. And But there were still things that were happening that would just confirm, <laughs> just confirm who I was, you know, just deeply. So can you describe one of those times? Yeah, like with certain guys, I just felt a natural urge to, I don't know, to serve them. I didn't, but I just, there was just this thing inside me that was just like, I just feel. And the thing was also, cause they were, we were being taught to, we were being taught to be leaders. Like you're like, you have to be a leader, not a follower sort of thing. And I remember distinctly thinking, I am definitely a follower. I am, if anything, not a follower. I mean, a follower. See, look at even now I have this like fight in my head. I am definitely and someone who helps support somebody. Like I'm not technically what we would call like an alpha, right? I am that person that literally helps make the alpha the alpha if the, mm-hmm. you know, if that's what they want. And there was another time where, and this was I will always remember this. My mom called me and she was like, cause I was in depression and she called me and she was like, I just had this dream about you. And I was just checking to see if you're okay. And I was like, I am. And I, we almost hung up. And then I told her, I was like, well, what was your dream about? And then she told me and she was like, well, you were dressed in all black leather and um, you had a ring in your nose with a chain coming out of it. You're, you were in a um, black straight jacket and you looked sad. She said, you looked at me and you looked sad. And then I like hesitated because my heart started thumping really fast. And then I was like, um, well, you do know <laughs> that I am into that kind of stuff. And she said, I know. And I said, how do you know? And she said, a mother knows these things or something like that, or I've always known or something to that effect. I don't know. And I don't know, I just was shocked that she was so, because I didn't share it with her at all, but I was shocked that she was so insightful on me. But her telling me that dream didn't give me freedom to kind of explore. It made me feel like she was afraid I was going to kind of like lose my life, I suppose, because she's very (laughs) dark in in that way. She's always like, you know focusing on the negative sort of thing. So, you know, I was just like, oh, this can't be sort of thing. So I just kind of reinforced my beliefs that I had to kind of get out of it. So was there any connections you had with your slavery with religion? Because you often hear the word to serve Jesus Christ. (laughs) And of course you have the idea of worship and worshiping the master. So was there anything there that kind of connected or disconnected because of that? That is a, (laughs) that's a good question. I didn't think about that. Uh, There was no connection, I don't think, to the, those uh, terms because I had started to develop my own relationship with God. And I started to realize that the things that they were saying about God, about Jesus were incorrect. And I started telling my mom this and she agreed with me for the most part, she would be like, yeah, I started asking these same questions. So when people say, you know, serve Jesus, I disagree with that. I don't think that is a very kind of human way of looking at it where you're just like, 
Jesus is like, do this, do this, do this. And then everybody's like, yes, master, you know, bowing down. I don't perceive him as that. I perceive him as someone who is liberating and um, just like, you be you. And then in fact, that's what, ha- well, so I heard a voice, right? I heard what I, what I call the God's voice, like talking to me because I was in my room, I was all alone and I was half asleep, like I was coming up out of a sleep. It was early in the morning and a voice woke me up as if like we're talking now. It just woke me up and said, I love you just the way that you are. And as it spoke to me, my mind was racing because it it understood, like as it was speaking, I kind of knew what it was saying. Like I understood where it was coming from. And that meant my sexuality, also my draw towards BDSM and kink and stuff like that. It was like, I'm not asking you to change. Like that was the, what the voice was saying. Unfortunately, <laughs> I then turned around and been like, yes, you love me just the way that I am, but you want me to, there's some things that you want me to change, which is completely opposite of what the voice was saying, but whatever, like that's something else. Why do you think you had that reaction though? Because you heard this voice and I just feel this amazing emotion when you say that, but then you decided not to follow it. So what kind of happened to make you kind of make that, that decision, let's say? So, yeah, because I have this tendency to obey, like I just want to obey. So I let the teachings that I had in the church and stuff like that in the religion kind of overrule this voice that is the first time I've ever heard this voice, right? So I let it kind of overrule it, which to my detriment. (laughs) Yeah. So you've heard this voice and you've decided not to follow it. So what then happened? That's when the depression really was like onset. Like it just came in like a flood. So I just... I had doubled my efforts to be straight, you know, like I didn't have any porn on anything. I wasn't because porn was very easy to get in the closed campus, but I didn't have any porn. I wasn't looking at any porn. I was afraid that I would lead other people to hell, you know, and I did not want that at all. I was like, if I'm lost and I just want other people to be happy and be saved, you know? Yeah. So that's what happened. I went to, I ended up going to France for a year it was the worst year of my life, I would say. Not the worst. It was probably like the second worst year of my life. Maybe it was the worst. I don't remember, but it was horrible. But I was among so many awesome people, but I just couldn't appreciate it. Yeah, it was just terrible. So like, I just really want to tell people, if you hear that voice, (laughs) listen to it. Do not try to like, believe it. You know, don't try to, don't know, because it is a horrible thing to kind of like hear such a loving message and then be like, no, (laughs) Uh, I'm going to do it my way. It's not a good idea. So, or the way that I was taught, I suppose. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So you're in this depression and what moved you from, let's say, ignoring the voice, being in depression to moving to, let's say, a next stage? Yeah, it took a long time. I was in depression and I'm still struggling with it, but I was in depression from like 2007 or 8, maybe in uh, mid-2007 at the earliest um, until 2022, so basically last year. And it was a long, arduous fight 
but I had heard the voice again. So I, I've heard it twice. And the second time I was in France again, and it said, go sell all that you have and follow me. And that's a Bible verse. So it's not like it's anything like kind of spectacular, I suppose. But it's interesting because it was a voice that was talking to me, directly to me. And it didn't mean go get rid of the stuff that I have because also I had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't have anything to get rid of, but I knew again, once again, when it was talking to me, I knew what it was talking about. It was saying, get rid of the teachings that I had about God. It said, get rid of those and then follow God. So basically God would be teaching me his or herself what I need to know about him or her. And that was really, really hard. I told my mom about it because I'm very close with my mom and I told her about it. and. Um, she was like, okay, you know, but then when I told her what it meant, she disagreed because I was like, this means I also need to stop going to church on Saturday. You know, I have to get rid of everything that I was taught was right, according to your religion or to this religion and let it and learn it again at the hands of God. It's just something that needs to happen. I refuse to, <laughs> to disobey this voice again, you know, like that's what happened. And it's been just so that I think that was the beginning of the healing process out of depression. But again, it just took a long time because I had a lot of ingrained beliefs, like homophobic beliefs, a lot of just ingrained beliefs about who God was, this kind of overbearing overlord and stuff like that. And I just had to get rid of it all. And it took a long time. I stopped reading the Bible as well because I realized I stopped reading it because of what this voice had told me. But then I realized after having stopped reading it, it was very much a good thing because I had become legalistic, right? Again, because I like to do what's right. So I become legalistic with the Bible. And so I was doing what everybody else was doing, just like I'm kind of applying it to homosexuality or applying it to women not being able to, you know, speak in the church or whatever the situation is. And I started understanding kind of the spirit of, you know, so they have the thing about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law in, in regular law. This is the same thing. It's you're reading this, but you have to understand the spirit of what it is. And that's what I started understanding. So then the Bible just took on a whole new form, a whole new whatever. I stopped reading it, but I kept remembering verses of it because again, I was very into this. So I Back in the day, I used to read the Bible all the time, every day, three times a day, you know, stuff like that. And so the Bible would come back to me. I wouldn't read it, but it would come back to me. And then I'd remember, I realized that, oh, it actually wasn't talking about this. It was talking about something else. It makes so much more sense, you know, and I realized how to read the Bible with, with the line of love instead of dictatorship and stuff like it was just, you know, so that's really what kind of set the stage for me to become more free, you know, is getting rid of religion and just, you know, following God myself. So earlier on, you'd mentioned that you'd started to, let's say, look at your relationship with God in a different way that you were forming your own, let's say, religion or your own identity. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Good question. My mom asked the same question, actually. And I don't know. I don't know. I just had a different way of thinking about it, I suppose. Or it just came to me. And I wasn't afraid to ask the questions, but people did not want to answer them. There were a couple people in the church who acted as honest sounding boards, but they also were kind of steeped in the same thing. But they were more open 
to understanding than most other people. And they were, because I talked to them and I listened to them more, I was able to kind of obey the voice better, you know, because they were elders in the church and I would just ask them questions and they were like, yes, most people in our religion think this, but actually I think this, and this is along the same lines I was thinking, right? So I don't know why I was doing that. Again, my mom wondered why as well, but it just came about. I just asked questions and I just kept asking and trying to be honest. So, And you just mentioned your mom there. And, and before you'd said that your mom had had a different interpretation to when you heard the voice the second time. Yeah. Was there any tension or yes. did things have to be resolved as you then went on this path about, I'm going to let go of religion? There was tension um, because I also, I had come out to my mom once up to that point. And then when I told her about hearing this voice, we called a couple, I'm still in France and we called, uh, we talked to each other a couple weeks later and she told me I sound suicidal, which I was. And she told me that, um, she was like, you really need to pray about this and figure out what is going on with you. And so I did. And she was like, don't get off your knees until you get an answer. So I did it. But as soon as I started praying, I knew what the problem was. And so I called her back and she was like, did you get an answer? And I said, yes. <laughs> she said, what was it? And I just hesitated for a very long time. And then she said, Nate, she's very insightful. I don't know how she does it, but she said, Nate, if it's something I've done, you need to tell me. And I said, okay, well, do you remember when I told you that I was gay? And she said, yes. And I said, and you told me I wasn't. And she said, Yes. And I said, I am. <laughs> she said, and she said, okay, like that's what she said. And so that was the second time I come out to her and she was still grappling with it, you know? So yeah, when I told her, I had to tell her that I had to get rid of these things. She was still grappling with it. She was still not, cause this is all she had really known. And she didn't know really how to step outside that comfort zone. And it's very comfortable, let me tell you, but, and it's very hard to step outside of, but once you do, you're very free, you know, and she couldn't see that. So, yep, it was a lot of tension. And then when I, I finally told her the third time, the third time was very definitive because I still was not planning on living outside of the closet. I was still trying to get married to a woman and stuff like that. But third time, I kind of felt kicked out of the closet. Like I felt like God was like, okay, enough of this. <laughs> it's just, you've got something to do. You need to do it. And so he kind of like, I guess, kind of kicked me out of the closet. That's how I feel about it. Uh, him or her. And then I told, but I had this confidence when I did, like I had this confidence and this energy. I walked 20 miles every day for three days. That's how much energy I had. And I just, I couldn't sleep because I had so much energy. I would go to sleep at midnight and I wake up at four o'clock, wouldn't be sleepy at all. Anyways, I did it. And then I finally told my mom, I was like, I am gay. <laughs> she was like, that is, and she kind of gasped and she was like, I was like, why did you gasp? And she was like, it's kind of like if my husband told me that uh, he was a pedophile. And I was like, what? <laughs> but again, she, you know, this is like her steeped in this kind of teaching, you know, sort of thing. So she didn't have the opportunity to get out, but I did. And I was like, that has nothing to do with it. And then she had an issue with me. She was like, okay, it's fine. But then she had an issue with me, you know, eventually dating guys and stuff like that. It's just it's a very long process. So yes, there was... 
tension. And then finally I had to get rid of it. I was like, listen, I can't keep doing this. I have to live my life. So you stay where you're at. If that's where you're comfortable, I got to keep moving. And that's what I did. So then I came to Europe. <laughs> so, okay. So you're now, you've come to Europe. Is it France? Was it somewhere else? Switzerland. I was planning on going to France, but then things fell through and I ended up in Switzerland, which was like literally the best thing that could have happened to me. So, <laughs> so tell us about this part of your life then. So you're literally coming out, you're coming to Switzerland, hopefully having some good chocolate. And then what else happened? Yeah. Yes. And good cheese, actually. Um, <laughs> it was very liberating because then that's when I was able to start working on my depression, which I hadn't recognized. I didn't know it was depression. I just felt dark all the time. But in that darkness, like I was able to kind of meet up with guys, you know, on the apps, like there was Planet Romeo at the time. And uh, I would meet up with them. And a lot of them wanted just like sex, like regular sex, like what I call vanilla sex. And that just really wasn't what I was interested in. And uh, so it was really hard to find somebody. Then I found like Recon and I got on it. But Geneva, I was in Geneva and Geneva isn't a, you know, a hotbed for <laughs> for kink of any sort. <laughs> so it was difficult. I did find a couple. Uh, one guy, like he um, took me to this park at night, made me strip and then made me orally service any guy that kind of came by or whatever. So that was very, like, such a turn on. Um, then he also, on another occasion, he brought me with one of his, another guy, I guess, that was, like, trying to uh, serve him. And he had us, like, torture each other unintentionally, like, to relieve the torture from one, the other person would be tortured, you know, sort of thing. So it was like this, I don't know how to explain it, but it was like, <laughs> painful but like fun at the end of that like he made me like piss on myself and then walk home with it on you know like that and so I met a couple guys uh, I also was trying to start dating because I still had in my head that you know I would like I didn't want a normal relationship but the guy that I ended up dating and eventually marrying we met in a kind of a BDSM way you know but he's not like super into BDSM he just kind of likes this type of stuff but also we had like a kindred spirit so it just clicked immediately you know so that's what happened like it was almost like a whirlwind like just things were happening like <laughs> yeah and how would this feel you know from this depression or darkness to having these experiences how did you emotionally start to change yeah, because during, while I was doing all these things, right, I was also studying in school, but while I was doing all these things, I would forget about my depression, right? So, and again, I didn't know it was depression even at the time, but the darkness wouldn't be there, right? So I just, I don't know, it was liberated. It was something that I wanted to constantly happen because I guess I didn't want to be in my head all the time, you know, because it was just very dark in my head. Um, like I, felt like everybody was against me. Also, I'm black. And, you know, you'd see these profiles, like no fems, no fats, no Asians, no black sort of thing. So that was like really depressing as well, which made me start up my Instagram <laughs> account for international sexy ass men. <laughs> Just, you know, showcasing a bunch of different um, 
ethnical sexy men, you know, all shapes and sizes and stuff like that. Like I really just really wanted to get this, be like, no, we're not playing that game. (laughs) But yeah, it was fun doing it because I, again, I got to explore and do the things that I was doing when I was younger before I kind of closed myself off. I was able to revisit that. So. And then what happened? Um, And then I got married and that was different. I mean, it was exactly what I wanted with the person that I wanted to do, get married with. And I was hoping that he would be like a master and a husband sort of thing, you know, but it wasn't something that interested him. um, And I didn't want to push him or force him or anything like that. But also I was telling myself kind of be happy with just being married, you know, but it just kept coming up. Like I just needed to be kind of controlled or I just needed to be, or I just needed to serve basically, you know, like that's really what it was. And so it just kept coming up. We were living in Nantes and I met up with this guy who would do some ball busting. And I don't actually like physical pain. I appreciate it only in the catalyst of this is what a slave endures in order to become like a better slave or, you know, or as punishment, like this is what excites me about it. I don't like it. Otherwise I'm very pain adverse. So like, if you're like, do this, otherwise you get this punishment. Oh, you best believe not only am I doing it, but I am doing it so well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I know that there are masters who will be like, I'm just going to punish you anyway, you know? And I appreciate that because I'm like, well, that is definitely within your right, you know, sort of thing. So I met up with this uh, master who did like ball busting on me um, and I didn't like it again because it was painful, but he was very like just dominant. And he afterwards, he'd be like, go clean my bathroom, go and do, you know, sort of thing. So or he'd be like, you're staying here tonight, but you're sleeping on the floor. And I'm like, "Okay," you know. (laughs) So, yeah. So what I love about this is that you've gone from being in the closet and wanting to essentially find a wife to now having an open relationship with someone. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know, again, my whole family knows I'm out to my whole family, but I'm really close with my older brother. And he was like, "Um, you just don't care. Like you just, you just like do it. And I'm just like, I know, I don't know where it comes from. Like, I'm just like, I got married. My mom didn't come and I was sad about that, but I was like, I got to live my life. So, so I just, I just did it, you know, and I post like pictures of me and my husband and I have, I stopped talking to many people who were in my religion, like a lot of them, just because I didn't feel like dealing with that. I don't care what their opinion is. I literally don't care what their opinion is. And so I was just like, let me just cut y'all off. If y'all feel like you got something intelligent to say, you can come talk to me. And I'll still, I, my doors are still open, but I was just like, I can't deal with you right now because I have I really have a life to live. So yeah, I just became very, and so I became very kind of vocal about, you know, I don't consider myself a Christian because I consider that pejorative. I don't like that term because I don't like what it represents now, what it's become, but I do have a relationship with God and I do have a relationship with Jesus, right? My own relationship. And it does not prevent me from being kinky, you know, from being in a same-sex marriage or anything like that. In fact, it is very uh, supportive, you know? In fact, just recently, maybe a couple, few weeks ago, I told God something I had literally never told anybody. I don't remember precisely what it was, but it was about kink. And I was like, I like this. 
I don't know why. I just do. And I felt such a load lift off me, you know, like uh, I didn't realize it was, I guess, a weight, but it was. And I just felt relieved. And I was just like, and I didn't feel any condemnation. Again, the condemnation comes from humans. It does not come from God. And I didn't feel any condemnation. I just, I felt like God didn't say anything, but I just felt like he was like, okay. (laughs) So, yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, when we were emailing, you sent me this one sentence, which I wanted to read to you. In Europe is also where I realized that I could be gay into some very, very kinky shit and then tell (laughs) about it and feel heard and loved. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because I'm into some very kinky stuff. I didn't realize I'm just into a lot. Anything that's like degradation, humiliation, I just really really enjoy it. In fact, I write about it. You know, I write about consensual non-consent stuff because for some reason I try to write about like non-consent, non-consent, but it's just something goes against kind of my thinking. Like, I'm just like, it's a turn on, but also no, I don't want that type of world, you know, sort of thing. So whatever, but I do write about consensual non-consent and uh, stuff like that. I do like race play. Uh, oh, was that what I was talking to God about? I think but from multiple different aspects. So like, you know, white on black, black on white, you know, Latino on white, Latino on black, Arabs, Arab is a big thing, you know? So I just love race play. Yeah. Is there anything more you want to say about that? About race play? Yeah. Because I, mean, I, I know that there's a lot of people, I've noticed that there's a lot of, especially like kind of African-Americans or black Americans who are maybe against it for good reason, right? <laughs> but for me, it is just because it's humiliation and kind of degradation and just, I don't know, that's really what kind of piques my intrigue about it. I met up with a couple guys who were into it. Both of them were white and uh, I just loved it. Even like they would call me the, like the N word, you know, or like a monkey or, you know, something like that. And in the, in the realm of what we were doing, it was a huge turn on. And but outside of the realm of this, it is absolutely unacceptable. You know what I mean? So like, and the brain can just do that. You know, like the brain can know this is a scenario where it's absolutely okay to do this. This is a scenario where you will not, you know, so. (laughs) The set and setting. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. Yep. So, and we're coming to the end of the episode now. If there was someone else that's listening now and they're going through what you have gone through, what would you tell them? Uh, I would tell them it's best to stop listening to humans, the preachers and stuff like that. I know that they are in a position of authority or what they've given them authority. Stop listening to them and really listen to God or, you know, Uh, like develop your own relationship with God, you will find that it's the difference between night and day. This is if you're believing in God, like if you're in this religious kind of setting, I'm not trying to proselytize, trying to get any atheist, you know, to convert or anything like that. No, 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 no. But if this is your world, stop listening to them. They are not telling you the truth, maybe not intentionally, right? So they might be doing what they think is right. But for any of my brothers and sisters who are in that kind of situation, just know that God loves you literally just the way that you are. Thank you. And then if someone has heard that voice and they're ignoring it, is there anything specific (laughs) you would say about that? 
Yeah, don't. If God is talking to you, you really want to listen because it's he's got or she has got literally your best interest at heart. So I've only heard the voice twice, but there was a number of times where there, I got this kind of like intuitive feeling where I should do something and I did it and it worked out just incredibly, right? So for me, the difference is I didn't listen to the first voice and perhaps by consequence, I fell into depression. I did listen to the voice a second time and that is how I got out. Like that's kind of how it is. God's not going to tell you to go kill nobody. God's not going to tell you to go do anything that is against who you are and God meets you where you're at. So if you (laughs) hear this voice and it is not telling you something that you should not be doing, you probably just want to listen to it. So, Thank you. Yeah. You are still looking for a master, aren't you? I am. I am. Yes. And you're based in France? I am. Yep. In Normandy. So anyone listening to this episode, if you want a strong, brave slave, such as what you've just heard, check out the show notes. (laughs) Thank you. Nate, I've been really moved by this story. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. And I think this is going to help a lot of people. So thank thank you you for having me. Seriously. I appreciate it. You take care. You too. Bye. If you'd like to be interviewed by me or know someone who would, you can get in touch with me at the email contact at masterslavelifestyle.com. You can now support the podcast, website, and Master Slave community through Patreon membership, receive benefits such as early access to the podcast, exclusive video workshops, and more, along with my thanks for supporting me. There is now a free download to help you take the next steps in the Master Slave lifestyle, suitable for both beginners and those who want a full-time relationship. Check out the show notes for more information on both. And if you're interested in finding out more on the 24-7 Total Power Exchange lifestyle, go to the website at masterslavelifestyle.com for more information. Thank you all for listening.